This is Defenders TV Podcast episode 191, where we're talking about Daredevil Season 3, Episode 6, The Devil You Know. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. You are here with Defenders TV Podcast, where we're episode 191, nine away from the big 200. Yes, that is right. Nearly 200 episodes. But right now, here and now, we are talking about Daredevil Season 3, Episode 6, The Devil You Know. I am one of your hosts, Chris. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Defenders. I am your third and final host, John. Boys, we're nearly at the halfway point of Season 3 of Daredevil. We got to know a devil through and through in this episode. What an episode. Before we get into too many spoilers, this is Defenders TV Podcast. If you're joining us midway through, what are you doing? Do you know what? Just get all over to DefendersTVPodcast.com where you can find all of our previous back issues on all Marvel Netflix shows. And you can even leave us feedback for this episode or any other episode on the site. Mm-hmm. Yes, DefendersTVPodcast.com, where everything sits, all of our reviews of comic books, all the movie reviews that we've been doing, and as we said, all of the uh, Defenders Marvel Netflix shows that have already gone out there. So uh, pop on over there and listen to anything you want to listen to, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on any good or evil podcast catcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify now as well. Yes, we are on the big S in my country or my home world, it means hope. <laughs> Wait, oh, I'm crossing yeah, I'm crossing Superman. over universes here. <laughs> yes. Speaking of which, Gotham's coming back on the third of January next year, Chris. Ooh. We will eventually be returning to Gotham TV Podcast to record some thoughts about the DC Universe again. It's been off air since June of this year, and it'll be coming back next year for a twelve episode season. So if you're a fan of Gotham, Join us for the final time. We'll be coming back for 12 episodes, not 10, announced yesterday. So, uh, so we're getting even more episodes and all coming back much earlier than we thought it was going to. So uh, really excited to get back over to the DC side of our world as well. Yes, let's see what crazy shenanigans are going on in Gotham. The final season, yeah. Yeah, crazy, oh, crazy. Wow. And you got two extra because I was like, ooh, I thought it was 10. Yeah. Yep. Oh, no. And confirmed that we're going to see Batman towards the end of the season as well. So uh, looking ooh. forward to it. I don't wear hockey pants. Do you know what? I think what I'll do is I'll binge all of Gotham TV podcasts before and get right in. And then I can just jump in on this episode because, um, hi, my name's Chris and I'm a lapsed Gotham fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I need to get back into it. Well, we have, what, 130 episodes of Gotham TV Podcast, and John just made reference to something he got <laughs> wrong on the first ever episode of Gotham TV Podcast. He still thinks the quote from Batman Begins is, I'm not wearing hockey pants. No, it's the dark It's hockey nice, pads. Isn't it? It's still hockey pads. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enough of our DC I'm universe. not wearing hockey pads either. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on do this episode, guys. Because someone was definitely wearing some form of armor in this episode. Uh-huh. Before we get into it, Derek, do you want to give us all the episode details for The Devil You Know? Sure. Uh, this episode was directed by Stephen Sergic, probably a most featured director uh, throughout all of our reviews on these shows. He's directed at least one episode of almost every one of the 11 seasons of the Marvel Netflix shows so far. Done an episode of The Punisher in season one, two episodes of Jessica Jones uh, in season one, an episode of The Defenders, an episode of season one and two of both Luke Cage and Iron Fist. And this is his fourth episode of Daredevil that he's directed as well. So, so much knowledge within this guy. And what a great episode Absolutely. to guest direct. 
Very, very cool episode. Yeah, like comforting hockey pants. Uh, it's great to have uh, Stephen back on board. Uh, it's it's amazing that run-through of episodes that he's done, and mm-hmm. you just see how much of uh, an imprint he has had on all the Marvel Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. 100%, yeah. You can, you can feel his fingerprint on this. We'll definitely get into that. Uh, the episode was written by Dylan Gallagher, a production assistant on Daredevil Season 2, Episode 5, Kumbaku, and then moved on to being a writer's assistant on season one of Cloak and Dagger, and now back with a writing credit on Daredevil, Marvel's flagship, I guess, streaming service show, I suppose you call it. So uh, welcome back on board, Dylan Gallagher. Great to have have you over on this particular episode, especially. Really, really good one. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Dex is on a knife edge as he tries to keep his mental state in balance after losing his North Star, Julie. He confronts Fisk, who reveals that he hired Julie to show him that she would never understand Dex. But Fisk does understand who Benjamin Poindexter really is. Dex is driven to the edge after being made the scapegoat of the FBI botched transfer of Fisk. Close to suicide, Special Agent Poindexter is given an alternative way out by Wilson Fisk. Meanwhile, Matt Murdock visits Karen Page to ask for her help to find Jasper Evans and witness his testimony against Fisk. With Jasper Evans at the New York Bulletin, Foggy Nelson arranges for Ray Nadim to bring him back into custody. In exchange for Nadim considering Evans' testimony, Matt agrees to hand himself over in the hopes of clearing his name. Back at the Bulletin, Karen's planned interview is murderously interrupted as Evans is killed along with a number of newspaper staff by Daredevil. As Matt attempts to stop this imposter, Agent Nadim arrives to witness Daredevil, aka Special Agent Poindexter, escape from a bloody crime scene. Wow. Knives Edges, North Stars, he kind of used everything in this episode, yeah, yeah. didn't he? <laughs> Knife Edge, On the Edge, ah, uh, yeah. Every pun we could get in there. <laughs> anyway, but first, case note number one, Matt needs help. Yeah, kind of an interesting one. Uh, Matt popping over to visit uh, Karen. Um, not the greatest of receptions for Matt's arrival, really, is it, Karen? <laughs> not really at want all. him there. She's kind of given up on him, as we saw earlier on in the season. She's kind of going, I don't really care what Matt wants anymore. He's the guy that's losing us, not we're not us losing him. So uh, when he comes over and asks for help, I like that she responds with no, and I want my money back. <laughs> that's kind of her response to him is no, I want you to pay you the bills and the rent that I've been paying for you for the last couple of months. Yeah, she is angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, she really is. I must say, I, I really like this response um, to Matt, to be honest. Uh, it really felt kind of valid. Mm. Um, so I really like that. I kind of think as well that um, she does have a nice flashback here. I mean, she's still dealing with effectively telling Foggy that she killed someone and effectively having to do it through... Um, attorney client privilege Mm -hmm. as well and i do like that little flashback here just before matt arrives where you know she's looking into the mirror and it kind of moves into a flashback really of that night before you can see she's had a pretty rough night's sleep but i love the fact she she says to foggy stop talking to me like a lawyer you know this is this is really interesting you know she's um she's been told she's not a bad person Foggy's saying you did it in self-defense and then she kind of lets it uh, slip that she shot him seven times because she wanted dead. And then Matt comes in. Maybe she actually just feels that 
she can trace it all the way back to that focal point of her getting the job there and getting to know them. And that's the issue uh, as much as him not telling her that he's still alive and all that, that, you know, this is a massive accumulation of things. So like, I, I loved her anger here. Uh, I really did. And uh, yeah, it didn't go well, did it? It really didn't. <laughs> Sorry, taking it back one point before when Matt's sneaking in to her apartment, mm-hmm. He's not really good at sneaking. <laughs> like, this is like a guy who's trained a ninja can, can, as we see later, able to move and swift between certain pursuing, uh, officers. And yet he manages to like alert her in a hungover state to the point that her window's opening. I'm like, okay, was it for dramatic effect? So she would know that someone's coming. I was just like, ah, come on. He could be in there and just standing behind her. I think it might have been a choice. She's gone through a lot (laughs) over the years. And to have him appear right behind her as she's in her hungover state, as you say, in her quite sensitive state right now, might not have been the great way to ask for help. (laughs) <laughs> from Karen, uh, possibly. Now, just to be clear, I did say that she uh, that she says no to helping Matt, but that is just a reaction from Karen because she's angry. Obviously, she does go out and make the inquiries exactly as he asks her to and goes and pays a visit to Sister Maggie to tell Matt that she has the information to share with him. So she was going to help him, but this is her way of going, no, Matt, you can't just arrive at my window and climb inside in the middle of the day and ask me for help, and I'm not going to help you. You've been away from me for so long. I need to know that you're going to pay me back for all the things I've done for you first. Yeah, let me just say as well, you said hungover, and quick whiskey watch here, because she got bladdered on Jameson's black barrel for a black-hearted killer, no less. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> that uh, is a good whiskey. I do enjoy it. Yeah, I know. I, I would say so. I'm just wondering as well, um, cause Stephen Surgic now has done two, uh, episodes. And certainly, um, I think whiskey has been in at least two of them on, uh, Jameson's. So I think Stephen Surgic may be, um, throwing in some bottles of whiskey. He might into, be into these episodes, he might be. which is pretty cool. I was wondering if that was the one that uh, Foggy's father had suggested earlier on. Was it Black Label? Was that nobody suggested about the Jameson? A good bottle of whiskey? A good Black Label bottle of whiskey? Well, she certainly had a good bottle there. Uh um, And she certainly drank a lot of it. Yeah. Well, Stephen, if you are listening, feel free to give us a shout. And I'll make sure you get a special Irish-made Jameson Black Label uh, as a thank you for this episode. (laughs) Chris, you know we're not living in Ireland as well. Can we give you a shout and get a... Irish made bottle of Jameson yes. as well. I, Please, well Chris. surprisingly, yes, 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 I would. Sweet. Sweet. And, and, and a lovely Irish made bottle of gin as well. Um, and possibly some Irish, uh, vodka. <laughs> there is potato <laughs> vodka, but we're not going to go to that. No, <laughs> in fact, no. A gift drinks cabinet would be lovely. That'd be great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Maybe out of my price range. Um, I, I want to know what you guys thought about the, the, the visit to the church. Mm. Where she meets Maggie, or excuse me, Sister Maggie for the first time. Yeah. It was really fun to see them both play that defensive, who are you looking for? No, who are you looking for? Who do you want to talk <laughs> yeah, to? Absolutely. Do you know who he is? Do you know who? And then they get into it. And I was like, okay, it's very much to like the past and the present uh, parts of his life meeting where Sister Maggie was around when he was the child growing up as the angry little 
Matt mm-hmm. and Karen's around as as Matt is still like mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah exactly that's uh, where they comparing collide, notes. Yeah. Really? yeah and it is as, as you say it is comparing notes it is the two of them sizing each other yeah. up to see if they can actually trust each other with the information that needs to be there it's also a good thing just completely behind the scenes kind of thing it's also really good to have these two actresses playing off each other in this scene because it would be terrible to have this character of Sister Maggie in the series and not have her interact with Karen Page, the biggest character since the beginning of the series. I always like that when you just kind of pair off characters and see how they would bounce off each other. You know, Karen's no longer protective as such of Matt. She's gone through a lot with him. She wants to make sure that he's okay, but she doesn't really mind that Sister Maggie's being the protective one. You know, she'll take that for the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I think the meeting of the two of them is just fantastic. Um, as you say, it's that, that sizing up and gradually realizing that their commonality is this angry kind of shut out Matt, you know, that he's a complicated man. I really like that. I, I really liked Karen's journey as well to, to this, uh, moment where, you know, both meeting Sister Maggie, the encounter, um, with Foggy in the car it is all persuading her to actually help him out. Um, not that it's going to cost Matt nothing, you know, yeah. for, for that help. Cause I, I like how it comes from this, this story of, um, the tale of Mr. Larson, you know, the kind Norwegian who, um, doesn't say any words, but on the death of his wife, when Karen goes around to, to see if he's all right, to really help him out because he's helped out so many other people. He goes, what's it for? You know, Matt asks for help and she says no. She's, she's not going to do things for, for nothing here. Mm-hmm. You know, she really wants to effectively get kind of Matt's pound of flesh, really, uh, for what he's put her through a bit. Um, you know, he wants, she wants the rent. She's not going to help. And I like, uh, her conversation with, with Foggy, uh, where he really says, you know, we can't let him down and um, people, have let him down in the past. Uh, I'm not going to be that kind of friend to him. Uh, and you get the same thing from Sister Maggie as well about, you know, she didn't turn up one night and so he never really interacted with her again. You know, he shut himself away from her. He never asked for help again, yeah. wasn't it? Because when he asked for help once, because of so many other people that were there. Exactly. And she didn't offer it. He didn't go back and, and ask for help again. Yeah. That, that is, there is that moment again, this wonderful performance in Sister Maggie. There's that really interesting moment where she's telling the story and you can tell actually she does feel really bad about not being there for Matt at that, at that moment. Even though she's saying there's still, you know, there's hundreds of other kids that I had to deal with that night, but I do still feel really bad that I couldn't help him out this one moment because we may have broken him right there. You know, I think. The interesting thing I really like, though, um, is that both Karen and Matt independently have come to the same conclusion that Fisk is playing the FBI. Um, you know, through Karen's investigation uh, of these shell companies mm-hmm. uh, and Matt going into Riker's prison. Um, so they're kind of on that same wavelength uh with with fisk and i like that there is that element to to this meeting of the two of them as well absolutely and foggy too remember foggy's already made that connection that potentially the da is in the employ of fisk or the fbi are because the da is isn't blocking them and that's why he's running for district attorney as well you know so all three of them have come to that conclusion separately so yeah it does make it very interesting we go on to point number two on this though just before we do, I did find it interesting. We don't get another mention of Foggy's DA run. 
in this mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. Which I was kind of expecting a continuation of that storyline. I'm hoping it comes in the next episode. I'm hoping it's not just Foggy did something, it will pause and it will come back soon. I don't think they'll do that. I think yeah. it will be part of a bigger story. I think this just takes place over a very short period of time. That's all. Yes. A couple of hours, yeah. maybe. Continuing on, let's move on, as you said, to case note number two, because this was really interesting. It's Jasper's hideout. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we do see that Karen has figured out where Jasper's gone. It's it's back to his own home. Um, that is his mother's home that his son is staying in. Um, Karen seems to work on the fly. Is that, that the same way you guys took it? That she goes to the door effectively expecting that Jasper's going to be there. And when she sees the kid, she instantly realizes this is a drug den and flop house. This is a yeah. place where she can actually use her old skills when she was drug addicted to get her way into the house. The minute the kid starts talking to her, she starts speaking to him about needing a fix and needing a place to stay. That's not what she was expecting to see when she got there. Am I right? Would that be? I took it that she probably, I think she did know. Okay. Uh, and I think, cause the feeling I got from it was, I suppose that's what they were kind of aiming for, which was we have had hints of her previous life, her addiction, yeah. etc. Yeah. We've seen her wake up in a stupor of uh, a blackout night. Uh, of alcohol. I think they wanted to play to the edge where it's, hey, she's almost gonna go over the line. Oh my god. And that's what you're expected. So I didn't really get the, on the fly. I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. And I, now, again, looking back, I can kind of see it. But what I more got was this was a very planned, targeted approach to get her in. So she buys the drugs, finds someone who's by himself, offer the drugs to that person because she needs to point someone to point out Jasper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, even though, which was kind of interesting, she had just looked at his photo and I was like, what? what? You've just looked through all the people. If he's not lying down, like, what's the drug dead guy going to do? He's just going to point in a random direction. <laughs> like, he's like, I think that guy is Jasper. <laughs> and it turns out to be like a stuffed dog. Well, well, that's kind of what I mean, I suppose, because she's not looking for a guy who's taking drugs in the flop house. She's looking for the owner of the home. Uh, it's kind of. Yeah. That's why I thought it seemed like it was unplanned. She was just going on the fly. But you're, you're absolutely right. She could have known going there and known exactly what she was going to do because she had the money in hand ready to give the kid for the fix basically as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I really just like the fact that it was a, a drug den, you know, a flop house and that all of a sudden with all these pressures that Karen, um, has at the moment in her life and the pressures that will come, you know, as we'll see later on, uh, in the episode and with our notes is, is just that, you know, this pressure is building around Karen, like to the point where she is gradually being reintroduced to heavy drinking with the, the Jameson's black barrel, you Mm -hmm. know, she's got this kind of guilt and at the same time, no guilt for the murder of Wesley. She's got her issues with Matt. um, And she's dealing with a very dangerous person with Wilson Fisk. And, you know, as we'll see, a lot of other stuff happens in this episode. So I, I kind of like this sudden connection back to, you know, some of her past, but now with this drug den, you know, right. that there, there could be a little um escapism here coming for, for Karen. I thought that was really nice to see. And I really like the continuation of like that sort of hard Karen, uh, you know, where she really doesn't give Jasper Evans 
too much of a choice with the two options um, that she gives him. You know, Matt, in fact, is slightly more diplomatic here. It's basically, you know, tell your story and we'll get you to safety far away from here, far away from the, the grasp of Wilson Fisk. Don't tell your story and I'll tell it like you did uh, tell the story. Yeah. Uh, and then Wilson Fisk will come after you to this house and for your son. And it's just like, you see Matt go, oh, okay. You know, I was wondering, is that just her putting on this dispassionate, hard journalist thing? And that's what she does as a journalist? Or has this just come about because of everything that's gone on and she's just like had enough? Mm-hmm. You know, is it a symptom of that? I wonder. I, I'm getting it's the symptom. Yeah. I'm getting it's like literally this is wearing down on her. And, and, and as you were speaking, it's some threads started connecting with me that potentially, I will discuss what happens to her later on later in the show, but. I wondered, did she pocket, because she never yeah. actually handed the yeah. drugs to the guy. So I'm wondering, did she actually like take that with mm. her? And will this lead down a dark path? Yeah. Will we end up with a Karen who does shoot up to escape what happens in episode 10? Because it was that bad. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't that clear that um, she had actually given the drugs to the user who was on the floor, or whether, because she got interrupted by Jasper... Whether, I don't know, she put them into a coat pocket or, or into a bag. Yeah. yeah, it might be something that comes back later in the in the episodes, definitely. I did like this this idea of Jasper Evans, the reason why he wanted to get out of prison, the reason why he was so willing to do what Wilson Fisk wanted him to do was because his son has gone down this path with him being in prison. He's gone down the path of selling the drugs and turning his mom's house into a drug den. Like, that's pretty bad. You see her sitting down watching her cooking programs while there's people just passed out everywhere around her with the drugs. You know, it's quite interesting. And now... As we'll see at the end of the episode, Jasper's not going to be around for much longer. So have Karen and Matt destroyed this family unit, you know, in, in a way? Yeah, and you can see later on how that can come back to haunt mm-hmm. them because uh, Karen's distraught at the end of this episode. She pushed her luck when talking to Jasper yeah. and pushing Jasper after the fight. By the way, that fight is amazing. Uh-huh. But anyway, it's just a small tidbit of what we get later, but it's fantastic. It's really cool, isn't it? And what we do see here is that Matt actually was just using Karen for her investigation skills and following her to get to this place. That, in, in its own sense, is kind of interesting. He told her just to look it up, write the story and tell the story. But actually, Matt is standing over or standing behind her, waiting for her to get to this place and identify this guy so that he can go after him take him out and take out everybody else in the room at the same time. But Karen does seem like she feels a bit betrayed by the fact that she doesn't trust her to go out and do this on her own. She seem, she feels like she's in control of the situation and he's treating her like the damsel in distress again, like he did back in season one. You know, there is almost that moment between the two of them where she's kind of going, but that's not what you told me that you wanted from me, you know? Yeah, but I was actually genuine. I was on Karen's side on mm-hmm. this, which is he could have just busted in himself and found Jasper. What he said used her for, and it, it's not clear because he, she says you knew where he was. So yeah. he's like, yeah, he, he didn't follow her or anything like right. that. He just, as you said, used her for the damsel to get in to take them off guard and then kind of come in at the last minute. I, I agree. I, I was definitely with Karen. I think he used her to legitimize the interview of Jasper by the bulletin because as Matt Murdock on the run from the FBI, and he certainly couldn't be Daredevil, mm-hmm. 
bringing him in. He, he, you know, he says, if I'd beaten out a confession, it would have just been played as being coerced. It was kind of like it had to be Karen who took him away from the. He effectively saved Karen. He didn't find Jasper. He isn't the one technically necessarily that made those connections as to Jasper Evans. It, you know, from the FBI, it will look like it's foggy and then obviously Karen that have pieced this together yeah. in some way, which I, I thought was really interesting. But it's almost as though Karen just wished he had been upfront with her about that in her apartment. Yeah. You know, he asked for help and, and instead he, he, he doesn't say what he wants. He kind of manipulates her knowing that she will go off and do this. She will struggle with making a decision. She will put herself through that ringer to actually do something that Matt ultimately wants her to do. Mm -hmm. And when asked, she said no. So I, it feels like she's emotionally being manipulated slightly by Matt, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Which is, you know, it's an interesting um, kind of thing for our protagonist to, to be using those kind of uh, techniques as well. Certainly, and the first time in four seasons that both Chris and John said they're on Karen's side. <laughs> well, that's true as well. well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! They, it o it only took how many episodes, ladies and gentlemen? But actually, I'm on Team Karen right Team now. Karen. Wow. Yeah, go page. There you go. There you go. Excellent. Guys, a quick one for a case note number three, I think, but we do need to talk about it a little bit. Um, how's Foggy gotten, gotten involved in this situation? He goes and starts working with Ray Nadim. He kind of offers up Matt Murdock to Ray Nadim uh, as his way of getting Matt out of the situation he's got himself in, I suppose. Um, he kind of feels like if Ray's there to witness this testimony from Jasper at the Bolton, then Matt will be able to get off everything that he's, uh, that all the charges that are on him, all the things that Fisk put towards him. Yeah, well, all of them get cleared. That's kind exactly. of what yeah. he says to, to Karen. And that's yeah. one of the ways he persuades Karen to, to help Matt out is that, you know, she should put that condition that he turns himself over to the FBI, which she does in the drug den. Mm -hmm. And even Matt Murdock realizes that's the smart move because it gets all of them cleared or at least lifts the suspicion or should do uh, from all of them. Yeah. And I just want to comment on one nice little moment that we get between Foggy and Matt when they're sitting, waiting in the bulletin to be kind of picked up. And Matt takes out the wallet to give back to Foggy, the one that he obviously lost in Bottom of the Hudson River. And Foggy gives kind of an, an off shucks kind of smile, you know, and Matt kind of going, I don't really have any money to put into it because I'm, I'm kind of a lot at a loss at the moment. It's lovely. There's a really lovely moment, but that wallet contained about two grand of money plus his bar <laughs> degree, plus all of his, all of his identification and everything. But you can tell the fog he's just willing to release it all because he's got his best mate back. You know, it's, it's a nice moment. I do think it's a little bit like, you know, I'll give you 200 quid a week for the next six months, maybe is what Matt should be saying <laughs> to him. But I think Foggy's just willing to forget ever, all, everything that went along in the past because he's got his friend back again. Well, as Foggy says, has Matt been a shitty friend lately? Yes. yes. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed Foggy's interaction with Ray on this. Mm. 
in that he goes, here's the sandwich you ordered <laughs> yeah. last night. I was like, oh, sick burn. Did that feel like a little <laughs> yeah, moment? Like, absolutely. Did that feel like a little moment like what he would have done with Mahoney back in season one, season two, when he was looking for information, he would always turn up with, you know, a present for his grandma, like a, a box of cigarettes or <laughs> some whiskey. You know, in this in this case, he's kind of leading on the good foot going, I did actually hear you last night. I did know that you wanted to check out this sandwich. Here you go. Yeah. yeah. You know, I took it as this is foggy. The high priced lawyer, mm-hmm. there's these weird marketing business influence rules where you, if you're going into negotiations, you try and go in with the best mm-hmm. foot. So put your opponent or whoever you're trying to negotiate with on the back foot by going in like that. So it's very much you see he goes in and to completely diffuse Ray, he goes in and goes, Hey, here's that sandwich. Oh, by the way. And then he sits down. He takes the power pose. He kind of sits down and then starts kind of controlling the conversation. Mm-hmm. And Ray is completely taken aback. You can see. And then he's drawn in. I was so happy to see this. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping we get some form again of Foggy in court. Like, I want to see him do opening statements or closing statements again. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed those previous scenes. I really want to see it again. Yeah. Especially this foggy. It's like he argues for a living, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's really good in these scenes, definitely. Yeah. And I, as always, as we see in New York, every single law enforcement officer, the best way to the, to them is going through their stomach. Always feed them. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> really important. I, I do like the fact that Ray kind of gets squeaky pants after this going to his, uh, his boss because, mm-hmm. you know, he's checked out Jasper Evans. He's kind of like going, that can't happen. He's in prison and it's like, uh, no, he's not. And he's like, uh oh. So that it, it's kind of interesting because, you know, this is probably our, our smallest case note actually, uh, mm-hmm. for this episode. Yet it's an interesting position that Rainadim now finds himself. And I suspect it will become clearer as to is he genuine FBI or is he in the pocket of Fisk FBI? Mm-hmm. And if he's not, you know, does that shine that light maybe on his boss or other people that he's dealing with and um, it's a nice moment because it undermines Raina Deem a bit uh what foggy has done here as you've said chris he 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 absolutely kind of works out his strategy to completely throw Raina Deem off in terms of the certainty that he had in going to both foggy and to karen and accusing them indirectly because of Matt Murdock being identified by Fisk. So it was a nice little counterpoint, I think. Yeah. I want to put my hand up and say, I do no, I no longer believe Raina Deem is in the pocket of the kingdom. Mm. Yeah. I was based on this yeah. scene. I'm now like, okay, it's, if anything, it's his boss. Yeah. We do know the information about Jasper. Mm-hmm gets to the kingpin and a certain person, which we'll talk about in our next case notes, but it gets to them about his location. So someone in the FBI is working with the kingpin, but based on Ray running into his boss's office and some of her choice of words, and more importantly, he runs in and she goes, hey, your credit's all been sorted because you got that promotion now. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I was like, oh, cool. So it's no longer, I don't think it's him. Like he was legitimately working on yeah. it 
But now all the fingers are pointing to the boss. And you're going to probably find out if it wasn't the boss, it was some orderly number two yeah. or something. But <laughs> it's just very well done of how they're doing this. Or Ray. <laughs> yeah. Still could be Ray. I still think what we said on the last episode, that Ray's not in the pocket of, of Fisk because he doesn't need to be. Fisk is such a good manipulator that he's just manipulating without having to pay any money to him. <laughs> That's what it feels like. We do even get a moment later on in this episode where Ray almost exactly reiterates exactly what Fisk has set everything up for he says the words fisk wants him to say so he is once again being manipulated in exactly the right place that fisk needs someone like him to be to say the things fisk needs said in public that's what it feels like so uh so i'm not i'm not sure he's in the pocket i'm not sure he's just getting any money out of it i feel like he's just being manipulated in the right way but speaking of master manipulators onto case note four poindexter in the pocket kingpin not only does he have all his stuff back, but he is playing havoc with Benjamin Poindexter. Um, he has not only used Julie, who I actually think, um, I don't know if you would agree here, but I definitely think that even though she doesn't know it, she is his North Star. That is the person that he has latched to, to give him good thoughts, even though he's done it in a stalker-like way. Um, she's his North Star. Um, she's, he's got that connection with her, and all he needs to do is kind of have that idea that she's got a connection back to him yeah, uh, to, yeah. to help in this structure that his psych therapist said, you know, he should do. Because I, I also do like the fact that, you know, we see this moment where he's tossing and turning in his bed. He, all these uh, thoughts are running through his head. He's replaying that moment that Julie kind of said, stay away from me. Uh, and he goes to the safe, there's all the guns, uh, and he pulls out the the tapes and does exactly what his doctor says. You know, he listens back to them. Yeah. Uh, he still gives the alarm clock a bit of a thump, but hey, sure, who wouldn't? Exactly, exactly. I have to say that scene is one of my favorites in this episode. Um, as the the voices are replaying in his head, it's not just Julie's voice over the course of the episode. We see it a few times used. It feels like by having such a bad experience with Julie in the last episode, she's poisoned the things in his mind that have been keeping him safe over these many years um, since he was in therapy. It feels like having her say bad things back to him, having her have a horrible opinion of him has suddenly made him turn against himself. Yeah, no, no, I, I get what exactly because she even uses the exact same words he used yeah. when he was in the call center, but in a negative way, in a tone that is pretty bad mm -hmm. uh but oh my god that scene and as you said those scenes where he's hearing the voices and the camera's spinning and it's slightly defocused and just beautiful direction in terms of the the how they brought that can we call it psychosis at this point or um i think so I, I'm trying to, yeah like at this point he is going crazy yeah. We see him take and put away his pills. He throws them in the bin. Mm -hmm. So he's no longer taking his medication. Yeah. Um, so this is very much, I'm finding it interesting to see how he's descending into madness to a degree. He's falling out of control. Yeah. I think is where I would, where I would see him. Um, he had that control for years and it's, it's not impossible that he won't be able to regain that control again. But I think, unfortunately, kind of to speak to the point itself, 
Kingpin has found that this guy has a weakness and Kingpin is going to exploit every bit of that. Wilson Fisk is now starting to get into his head. We see Poindexter get up a couple of hours before his shift to go and sit and watch Fisk and then go and effectively challenge him, effectively tell him that he is not going to fall for this trap, this honey trap that was Julie. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he knows that Wilson Fisk was behind it. And even though he goes there with that expressed intent to say to Wilson Fisk, you'll never own me. I'm not going to be ever on your side. Fisk gets under his skin and Fisk twists him to the point that he's the only option that he has left by the end of this episode or by midway through the episode. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things here that I just absolutely adored. I think um, it's the one where Dex is literally just at Wilson Fisk and you've got Wilson Fisk sat at the table saying absolutely nothing mm-hmm. to the point where he says, just talk, will you say something, you know, and, and swipes off uh, Fisk's breakfast from the table. And you suddenly get this kind of amazing chat from Wilson Fisk that Poindexter is not expecting, you know, this idea that this isn't a honey trap, as you said, that it's that she would never understand you. Um, and, you know, as the whole episode develops and you get all these thoughts racing through Dex's head, which is a really nice little way of, as you say, Chris, showing things that used to be a positive are now being considered negative by uh Dex because he's not taking his meds. He's losing his structures mm-hmm. because it's all just piling up on him. He's being made the scapegoat by the FBI for that botched uh, transfer of Fisk. Yeah. But it, it gets to the point where by the end, Fisk is telling him, you know, you've been taught to hide beneath many fictions uh, to hide in plain sight to hide your true self um you know i i have an alternative way and i like that that's right at the moment where poindexter is contemplating effectively killing himself yeah. or uh, certainly that's what it looks like um and okay there's a bit of license there with regards to tv series and so on but like it's just really nicely done. And I, but I think that moment between these two encapsulated were Fisk is sat calm, collected and steady and silent as Poindexter goes off on one at him for Julie effectively and what he did in hiring her. And then I really like that moment where he's back in kind of the FBI command center in the hotel and he's, he's looking at the, the footage of Fisk in this penthouse and you just get multiple Fisks showing up on the screen. And you can imagine that being in Poindexter's mind, mm-hmm. multiple Fisks having done something to him that he's really angry at and that just feeds into it so everything here just piles up and i i thought it was just so so well done um and i think for me it just really adds so much to the whole final uh fight actually as well because of what you've seen wilson fisk put poindexter through by simply turning Poindexter against Poindexter in, in his own mind mm-hmm. as he loses control. What I was really interested to see was, as you said, at that, at that point we get the phone call from Fisk and Fisk tells the story about the box and his mother giving him the hammer. But he uses, I, I don't know if you guys noticed, he slips in key phrase words okay. and terms that, his, that Dex's doctor had used when she was talking right. to him. 
So obviously now he's read the transcripts mm-hmm. and he knows. So he knows about these control trigger, not control triggers, but like he, he goes, he says everything bar, let me be your North Star. Yeah. Right. Like he uses the exact same terms. Let me look after you. Except I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember, unfortunately. But it was so noticeable to me just because I had kind of thought the way it didn't sound like Fisk saying these yeah, things. Yeah. It's that empathy that and understanding that he says he has about Poindexter mm-hmm. and is exactly what um, his psychologist was trying to get him to do as well. So all of a sudden he's doing it in the reverse way in a sense in that his empathy is with that brutal murderous side of of Dex whereas the doctor was saying you must have that empathy in order to uh, move away from that to become more social to be able to understand the feelings of people uh, in a non-violent way so i it, it's a really nice as you say twist on that chris definitely mm mm-hmm. mhm one thing I am going to point out, and it was just a complete bugbear for me, is Wilson Fisk's right shirt collar mm. is out of the vest and the jacket, and the left one is tucked in, and it's the same. I'm like, come on, Wilson, just fix that one black shirt collar. It's it's out and slightly to the like it's overlapping. Oh, I was no. like, no, come on, you've got more style than it's that. It's because Vanessa isn't there to help him. Yeah, I was going more. It's because he hasn't got the ascot. <laughs> they didn't want to go full ascot with it, so that's why it's just like this is what happens when the kingpin <laughs> doesn't wear an ascot. His lapels get slightly skewed. Maybe, but once again, I want to comment on how amazing a lawyer Ben Donovan must be. <laughs> he mentioned the last episode when he was talking to Ray and talking to to the boss, saying. There was a couple of personal effects that Wilson Fisk is deserving now that he's given up so much information. A couple of personal effects? He's effectively moved his entire (laughs) uh, former house over into this penthouse. Every single item that's there was what was taken away from him back in season one, right? This is like, this is everything. Yeah, It's not a couple of personal effects. It's not like, you know, um, a wash bag or something. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Very impressive. I think also, just bringing back to Wilson Fisk, I do like the fact that when he's on the phone to Poindexter uh, saying there's going to be a package turn up at your apartment, mm-hmm. the other lawyer is sat at the table. So presumably all the cameras are off. This is one of his phone calls, this moment where the FBI don't see any of this. So you know absolutely that each of those moments, Wilson Fisk has been doing something pretty underhand and dirty mm-hmm. uh, whilst he's been doing that. Um, so, kind of similar to Ben Donovan visiting uh, Mariah in prison and Luke Cage. Yeah, so exactly. He was there. She was having her long distance calls outside of the prison. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it was really interesting just to see this felon in so much luxury. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that was just so good. We're now there. We're now. We now have him. At the top of his game in the penthouse of this million dollar hotel uh, with all of his stuff around him again. And the only person that's really been challenging him since the start was Poindexter. He was the one that took the bite out of the burger before and took away all the nice accoutrement that were going along with the food. Well, now he's got him on his side. So that stuff's not going to be thrown away anymore. He's going to get his proper dinners again now. <laughs> But let's go on to the big moment of yeah. the episode, I think, guys. Uh, case note number five, Daredevil versus the Man in Black. Ooh, everyone likes a bit of Daredevil on Daredevil action. <laughs> yes. Okay, it's not up there with the prison fight scene, 
but just seeing this oh, yeah. was fantastic. It was actually sorry, before we get into it, is this a brand new Daredevil suit being made? Interesting. Where'd they get the suit? Yes. I I was wondering that. Is this a new suit? Because Fisk obviously got his suits made by Melvin Potter. Um so I just wondered whether uh Melvin Potter was forced in some way to to recreate his um his sort of pièce de résistance really here mm. certainly good haberdashery skills uh on display here well the last time we saw the actual daredevil suit it was underneath midland circle right most of the concrete of that building was on top of it so i'm presuming that was part of the reason why daredevil actually survived it but i don't think the suit did and i don't think it was repolished by kingpin so, so yes i think melvin potter might have to answer for making this daredevil suit yeah, it it was really good. I mean, the fight itself, I just really liked that difference in style between the two. Uh, I liked the difference you got, or certainly I sensed, from the close-up combat between um, the two Daredevils where Matt really had the upper hand with mm-hmm. the throwing the punches and, and that boxing style to then that kind of long-range sniper use of whatever is on the desk, whether it's pencils, staplers, scissors, uh, sellotape holders, you name it, being <laughs> thrown. Um, and I, I loved the use of the angles uh, being done by um, Poindexter. It was just so, so good to see Matt sort of at long range be effectively ineffective um, yeah. at at what he does. Um, and I loved how he tried to get up close to Poindexter to really uh, take him down. Uh, I th- I just thought this was really good, and I like that Foggy was saved uh, from a Billy Club to the forehead. Spectacular! The pluck out of the air is always a fantastic moment. It's what uh, a great introduction to the yeah. Man in Black arriving for the fight. It's really, really cool. Like you know, we do get the uh, baseball being thrown across the room into Matt's head. A little callback to last week's episode where we saw that flashback to the baseball. We see the Billy Clubs killing one of the reporters that's in the in the bulletin. So many different items being used, and yeah, that. Moment moment of realization on Matt where he's kind of pushed Poindexter across the room in the Daredevil suit and then realizes, uh-oh, if this guy's any distance from me, he can basically kill me with anything yeah. in the room. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, trying to make his way back over to him, throwing the table over as he's getting the stuff thrown at him. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, the baseball moment will stand out for me. It's cool, And then actually the choice to slow things down as Matt continues to walk holding the billy club and then you see uh, Point Dexter dressed as Daredevil walking as well, kind of before they kind of then everything speeds back up to normal speed mm-hmm. and they, they go after each other. It took me a second because I was watching it. I'm going, oh, wait, hold on. Has everything just slowed down? Is my internet connection? Like, oh, no, no, everything's fine. <laughs> the only problem with Netflix being a streaming service, <laughs> if you have a bad internet connection, sometimes slow mode uh, looks like bad internet connection. Yeah, it's yeah. just like, oh, wait, no, oh, okay. Um, and I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this fight. As mm-hmm. you, both of you said, it was the, the short distance versus long range. Just that the choice, the different objects, the callback to Bullseye being able to use any item as yeah. a weapon. Yeah. I was hoping because they were in an office, we would get some kind <laughs> of form of paperclip. Um, just as a callback, just as a nice nod back to the old film. Uh, but no, unfortunately. That's all right. We got loads of different, um, uh, loads of different office supplies being used as well. So, uh, didn't need to go to the paper. <laughs> but I said that's actually quite hard to pull off as well. You know, like this kind of scene here, I was wondering how much CGI is being used or did they really 
train him to throw every single one of those items to land at exactly the right spot through a, a, a one-shot take. They didn't. I know this isn't a one-shot take. There's definitely cuts. You can see see them in there. But uh, but it is interesting. There's a great one with the Billy Club where he bangs it off the floor and smacks Matt in the face with it as well. Just some really, really oh. good touches. But I like how it progresses. We see Matt knocked out on the floor as Poindexter goes to his real target. His real target is obviously Jasper. Uh, everybody cramped in the room, like in a horror movie, waiting for him to arrive. Foggy does take a couple of shots to his face. <laughs> he does attempt to do fair dues, like you know, absolutely. Foggy is not well known for his fighting style, but uh, but he does get a couple of shots in before being knocked to the ground. <laughs> I did like it, yeah, yeah. And then poor Ellison gets a pencil to the heart. Yeah, is he or is he not? possibly dead i'm really worried for him he's been in the show since the first season you know he's he's one of another one of our major players in the show all the way back to then i'm really hopeful that that's just him knocked out on the floor but he seems to be on the floor for a long time i take it as he's dead unfortunately Mm. because we get that beautiful scene two seconds before with him apologizing and saying karen is right (laughs) and it was just like and karen's face and smile being so happy I was like, no, they're going to rip this away. They're going to rip him away from us. Of That's it. Of course here. We can never have anything nice in this universe. No. This is the problem with Walking Dead being on TV, isn't it? Uh, the minute you see somebody say something nice, you expect them to be dead in 15 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, I took it as him dead because of what happens at the end, obviously, with Karen just sitting in there. Because next up, we see... We do see Dex come into the room. He hits the gun away from Karen with some, I'm assuming a pencil or a pen or something. He picks it back up. And then we get the straight off bullet to the middle of the forehead for Jasper. And then we get Mm -hmm. the creepy, 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 hello, Karen. It's good to see you again. Yeah. And the smile Uh from Dex. Absolutely. For me, that though had Wilson Fisk all over it. In the sense that um, I think Dexter was told to say, hi, Karen. Um, I think the implications of him just saying that and possibly with her having visited the drug den, possibly having drugs still on her and given the state of mind that she's in, um, plus Jasper has just been shot through the head. I think it's really big. And I think the other thing is just the fact that he uses the gun on Jasper. It's Karen's gun. Is this the gun that was used to kill Wesley? Mm-hmm. Uh, does this suddenly make it really difficult? Because, I mean, ultimately, if Matt had stayed in that room, uh, knocked out and, you know, taken the black hood off, then this is kind of, at least he, he is exonerated because Ray Nadim has seen Daredevil run uh, run down the stairs past his men on, on, on the way. Kicking them uh, on the way. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, on the way out escaping yeah. from from this murder scene effectively so but instead he he gets up and leaves the scene um and presumably lots of dna all over the place so whether there's some kind of connection that matt murdoch is daredevil because he was supposed to be handed over so surely rainer deem's going to ask foggy well was matt murdoch where was this prime suspect um, he got the hell out of there when there was all the screaming going on. Yeah, no, it, and and <laughs> then I think it's that not, the it's gun, what Bruce Wayne always does, <laughs> you know. So is then Daredevil going to be connected with Wesley's death because the same gun has been used, and Karen is going to be like, 
do I say something or not, is racked with guilt, I've got drugs on me, and off she goes, descent into um, just pure nightmare for her. Yeah, it, it was a bad one. I, I, I didn't understand why Matt slipped out. Um, this was a, an odd choice for me, because yeah, I was thinking, just take your hood off, and you've been attacked, and then it exonerates you. Like, and yeah, then you exactly. can work on getting Daredevil exonerated. But it was just, it was quite interesting to see, quite interesting choice. And that obviously at that ending, the, the, the point was made, Ray kind of declaring Daredevil is the killer. Uh, it's just like, okay, so Daredevil is suspect number one now, but it leaves us in a precarious place because Jasper's dead. They didn't finish recording everything. Anything really? They ask the question to Jasper, and then that's when you hear the noise yeah. outside. So Jasper stopped talking almost immediately uh, without actually saying anything. I think he think just yeah. says his name, and that's it. So sadly, they have absolutely nothing. Uh, also, I'm just wondering: is the man in black accused of a few things um, in the past couple of weeks since he came back into the city? Since Matt put back on that outfit, I think he's he is being actively pursued by the police so i think that's the reason why matt actually left it's not necessarily to do with this particular attack he left because he also can't be found at the scene i know removing his hood makes him less look like the man in black but it's still the same outfit that's been described a few times to the police so i think that's the reason why he left but it may have been better for him to stay i I do get do get that but i think he probably in his head it's he always leaves the scene of the crime because if he's found there lots of other things can be pinned on him but he's taking out the scissors down uh-huh. in the print room and the pencil out of his, his leg. And you're just there kind of going, that is surely going to leave blood. So now it potentially looks as though in escaping, he's left this trail of blood. It's Matt Murdock's. Is Matt Murdock Daredevil? I don't know. I, I think there's potentially loads of different ways this can go. I'd be um, hoping that he's going to be able to play that off and say he was attacked and that's why the blood's left behind. He was trying to get out. Yeah. You know? It's, yeah. it's going to be interesting where and they go with this. You can tell we're yes. all excited to see episode seven of this series, I think. Definitely. So gentlemen, I think that kind of wraps up all of our case notes for this episode. Any mm-hmm. other notes we would like to discuss? Yes, just one whiskey watch although not quite a whiskey watch uh from last week which i completely forgot uh, and that was the um dex's psychologist the doctor she was swigging back a bit of sparkly um frexinet there i think a spanish mm-hmm. carver very nice in a black bottle yeah very tasty was that just before she retired even yes. though she was plugged up to um, an oxygen tank. Yes, she was saying everything's better with champagne. <laughs> Even <laughs> oxygen. <laughs> or the meds. Just a quick one from me. We did nearly see Karen and Matt have coffee together. Unfortunately, not the Luke oh, Cage yes. style of having coffee together, <laughs> um, which I found funny. And I, this was an interesting one. Back when uh, they were filming this um season Deborah Ann Wall made a comment about how she can no longer say that her and cast members are running off to grab a, a, a cup of coffee they got told specifically by the production and by thing <laughs> so it's basically you cannot say that any characters are having coffee or kind of sitting down for coffee you can't they couldn't even say it as actors because it was basically everyone would just read into it 
Mm-hmm. Which I thought it was a nice cute thing. And so I was expecting them to actually have the Luke Cage version of coffee, hopefully maybe by the end of this season, because we do get Sister Maggie making a hint or two. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see. Um, I just thought a nice kind of tidbit of information there. And now we found the real reason why Luke Cage was cancelled. Yeah, it's all that coffee, man. It's all that coffee. Uh, the only other note I have is Foggy does make uh, reference to all up in my chili, which is about being up in his grill, Matt being in his face. Mm-hmm. Oh, so we have seen Foggy obviously uh, talk about his love of rap to Luke Cage, mm-hmm. and now, courtesy of the Urban Dictionary, uh, we've got all up in my chili. <laughs> is that because he works in a, a I have no idea. <laughs> or del- or has a deli, yeah, exactly. That's it. That's all of our notes for this episode. Chris, you want to kick us off? Do you defend season three, episode six, The Devil You Know? I do. I like this devil. He's a nice devil. We we got on well. I, I know him quite well by the end of this episode. Uh, I do mm-hmm. defend this. This season has been fantastic so far. Um, there is no downtime in this episode, which I found quite nice every story every scene has something uh yes i'm a, I, I make i mock kind of matt not being able to get into an apartment quietly even though he's a ninja <laughs> but just it's it, they're small things the the cinematography directing choice of how dex goes crazy not goes crazy but starts hearing the voices change and his kind of descent is fantastic unfortunately the wardrobe choice on kingpin did leave me slightly perturbed but we do get the beautiful white suit <laughs> just because he's more slightly askew than normal my god just give him the ascot fix that please hopefully by the next episode but then it all ends in a beautiful scene where we do see daredevil versus daredevil devil versus devil and it's it is the a fantastic take on a previous film we saw a version and but it's just the showing off the difference on how they had taken this up which is when you have a master of long range with any item and you have what is essentially a fantastic boxer style fighter they they need to constantly flip and change and run closer together run run away it was just so well done i'm eager to see what comes in the next episode because it's essentially that. Is Ellison dead? It's like, where are we going from here? Why did Matt run away? Will he get caught? All these nice qu- questions driving me into the, the, the episode seven, the halfway mark for this season. So yes, I defend this episode of Daredevil. Excellent. So, John, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? The devil you know. I really do defend this episode. Uh, I give this five up in our chilies out of five. Five. I... Or, or maybe squiffy uh, shirt collars out of five. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this episode. Um, I absolutely just could not get over Wilson Fisk and Poindexter. I think uh, Vincent D'Onofrio and, and Wilson uh, Bethel are really, really good uh, in this. Um, I love his descent of losing control to the point of suicide and being given uh, his way out. Effectively, Wilson Fisk becoming his new North Star. He's lost his old one in Julie. Uh, Wilson Fisk becoming his new North Star. Uh, I really enjoyed as well Matt and Karen's relationship here. Such great character um dialogue moments in, in this episode you know a lot's gone between uh these two a lot of water under the bridge and to see these two coming back together again 
Um, I don't think it's going to be a happy one for Karen, but I absolutely loved it so, so much. So absolutely defend this episode. I thought it was really top notch. Mm -hmm. Derek, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? Yes, of course I do. Excellent episode. Really, really looking forward to this one from from when I saw the original trailer, uh, knowing that there was going to be another Daredevil in the show. uh, And it was so much better than I thought it was going to be. Really, really good to see everything going on. The fact that they've really used the character of Bullseye and his abilities that we've seen uh, over the years in the comic books. Really cool to see them put on screen really well uh some great character moments as well between all the rest of the other guys and i cannot wait to get on to episode seven a member of our facebook group posted the other day that they'd gone past the episodes that we're watching at the moment and somebody else responded to them saying uh, all that's going to happen for the rest of the season is that chris and john are going to get more and more angry at derek <laughs> holding them back from watching episodes because it gets more and more exciting and they're absolutely right i've loved every episode so far and this is a top notch yeah derek why can't we watch your hairs because you're sitting here recording a podcast. You can, <laughs> you can watch episode seven immediately after this. Let's get out the feedback, guys. Yes, because I want to go watch episode seven. Mm-hmm. So first up, we have feedback on episode five from good old Dr. Robert Phillips had this to say. Not being a comic reader, I am enjoying the developing stories and can confirm you don't need to know anything about the origins to enjoy the tales. The baseball cap with the target in it is clearly going to be significant later, as the sniper decks as a marksman with a ball, bullet, or bowie knife. Okay, kitchen, but it doesn't really alliterate. He's also down as a bipolar, disordered, but feels more like a kind of lack of empathy sociopath. Shocked his control allowed him to slip with the info sharing with Julie, though. How did he fail to recall what he'd said already? Thanks so much, Robert. We yeah, completely agree with you. Glad to hear that you don't need to be the comic reader. That was always one of my fears when kind of watching some of these so coming in. But I think if anything, this has proven, all of these seasons have proven that they are separate. They, they liberally take from the comic books, but they're very much mm-hmm. their own entity, their own origins, their own stories, much like the MCU. Like, I'm really enjoying, even I'm enjoying this take on it, this different, because yeah. it's a different character. It's a different version of Point Dexter. So you were the man with fear rather than without fear. Absolutely. And I have to say, one of the things I really enjoy doing about the podcast is finding out some of this information from the comic books as well and, and talking about it on the podcast with you guys. You know, it's it's really fun to kind of delve into some books, some books that I've only read because of the series that we're, talk- that we're talking about. You know, um, I love finding new arcs of comic books that I haven't read before and kind of translating them and seeing them on screen, even in just little bits like we've seen this season. Really, really good. Thanks so much for that, Robert. Yeah, thank you so much for the notes there, Bob. Um, I definitely enjoyed the baseball cap as well with that particular insignia uh, on the forehead of Poindexter as well. Really uh, nice little touch uh, from the showrunner, director and writers. Yeah, really good. Also on episode five, Anya Lida also says, I must say they have some guts, these showrunners. Producing an entire almost episode of Daredevil without the devil himself. And it works. It works. It works all the way. I am so happy they pick up the thread about Karen killing Wesley in season one and actually do something about it. And the backstory of Special Agent Poindexter is so well written. I couldn't help but notice that they borrow some ideas from another of my favorite shows, Stranger Things, in the way they told this, and I think it was just beautiful. 
Still, I must admit, the lack of Matt Murdock in this episode made me binge watch the next one right away. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Anya, for the feedback. Yeah, I thought um, that reconnection back to season one for Karen is absolutely uh, helping her character, which I think was lost in season two. I really like that. It It's really um, giving her so much motivation uh, and so much reasons for why she is who she is and what she's doing i think it's really nice and i like how that interacts with matt murdoch as well and with foggy i think they've really got much more juicier parts karen and foggy uh, in this season so i'm really enjoying that and yeah i think uh, poindexter's backstory is absolutely fantastic yeah yeah it's really cool uh yeah i love the use of black and white on the flashbacks as well it's really really nice touch as well on some feedback about episode six mike brand says as someone who actually works in a newsroom this episode was incredibly hard to watch especially considering what happened in annapolis maryland a few months ago i'm really surprised they didn't change it in light of that incident at the same time this season has really cemented the idea that ellison is an underrated character and probably the best mentor in the entire netflix marvel universe the way he's guided karen has been fantastic we've seen a ton of important characters die in these series but dex potentially killing him had a much bigger impact on me than stick pops and hope slotman combined i'm really hoping we don't lose ellison there's definitely been some major moments with him this season i think they've kind of balanced his character really well he's had a a few scenes in other seasons where he's kind of given a little bit of the exposition or given a bit of a driving force behind karen in this season definitely he's felt much more like a mentor and much more of a respectful partner in guiding her into doing the work that she needs to do it it feels much more uh, much more realistic this season i'd be really sad to see him go yeah I, I i was interested in that kind of brainwave too mike in terms of what what happened in maryland and the kind of the correlations in this i think there's enough differences that kind of separate it out but you're right it it, it was strange but i, I think also that it, it was different enough that it was respectful in what they did mm-hmm yeah, thanks, Mike, uh, for that. Certainly, I think um, I really don't want Ellison to have been lost to a flying pencil. Uh, that is for sure. But he certainly seemed uh, taken out by that. So uh, whether it went straight to the heart, I, I really don't know. And and it's interesting you bring um, up uh, what happened in Annapolis in, in Maryland and the show, given, I suppose, uh, what happened with the Punisher release date sort of being kind of put back uh, because of, of incidents happening uh, at the time as well. So it, it's interesting that they chose to go with this. And I, I do think that I think it is important that these things are, are still covered uh, by shows um, such as this or any other because I think it's important for, for that storyline, uh, and it wasn't done, you know, the, these scripts are written very much in advance, uh, without any kind of prior knowledge to that. So I, I, I'm glad they kept it in ultimately, uh, mm-hmm. for myself. Yeah. And thank you for uh, providing that insight uh, of a newsroom, I suppose, in that sense. Uh, thank you so much, Mike. Absolutely. Thanks to everyone for all your feedback. If you want to join us over on our Facebook group, we're still putting up our spoiler posts as we watch the episodes. Pop on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast, or just email us with your thoughts on any of the episodes of the season to feedback at Defenders TV podcast.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thank you so much, fellow Defenders. We'll be back for our next podcast, which will be Daredevil Season 3, Episode 7, our full review of Aftermath. It's out next week. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, fellow Defenders, uh, for joining us. As always, it is a 
big, big pleasure. I'm off to Office Depot, uh, where I will be using office supplies as you've never seen it before. <laughs> uh, but until that time, speak with you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.